morning. This morning's reading is from the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go round and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your son can live on what is left. I've called this talk The Helper of the Helpless. So let's pray that God will speak to all of us. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Lord, help us to feed on your word so that we live by faith. For Christ's sake, amen. Now today of all days, we remember the hardships that many people have suffered. And hardships in life can affect the way we think and the way we live. I was reading recently C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, Observed, and he was devastated when Joy, his wife, died. He wrote this. Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. But to go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. Do you know this feeling? There's nothing there. Fortunately, as we know, C.S. Lewis came to grips with his grief and he came to realize that God not only exists, but he's all-loving despite allowing him to suffer. Well, today we continue to face all sorts of problems. And we know various people in the church. Many issues, debts, deaths, disease, other difficulties. Now, as we look at this, this passage in 2 Kings 4, you say, well, what's this here to teach us? Well, what's important, if you've got your Bible open there, you'll see that 
this whole chapter, this chunk, in fact, the three chapters, are dealing with God's power to overcome problems. So in this passage, 1 to 7, we've got debt. The next chunk, 8 to 37, he deals with death. Then 38 to 44, he deals with drought. Next chapter, 5, he deals with disease, overcoming disease. And in chapter 6, he deals with difficulty. So what the writer's telling us is that our God is able to cope with all the problems that we face in life. We, we tend to forget, don't we, that the God who created us really does care, immensely care, through every, whatever we're going through. The, the path to victory when we're suffering, like Sirius Lewis was, is to keep trusting, keep obeying. And we'll see then that our loving Heavenly Father becomes real to us. That's to live by faith. There's a, a poor boy. He, he's in a mission school in Ireland. And he's asked what he understood saving faith to mean. And he thought for a bit and he said, I think it's grasping God with the heart whatever happens. It's lovely, isn't it? That's to live by faith. Now, let's look at this short story this morning and see what lessons we're meant to learn from this. It's interesting. I don't know if when it's read through, you thought to yourself, well, that's an interesting idea. Uh, there are lots of thoughts have come out from various sermons. I heard one where the, uh, the preacher was uh, really enthusiastic about how the empty pots, there were lots of them, and he says, in Scripture, we are called vessels. And oil, of course, well, that's the Holy Spirit. So perhaps this is uh, teaching us that uh, we are to be empty of self if we are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It sounds terrific, very clever. But I would say that is not what this passage is trying to teach us. Look at the, the context the, these three chapters. God is satisfying people's needs when they're very low. <laughs> so, let's uh, start with my first point. God's destitute follower. That's this woman. In dire, dire trouble. Her husband has died, and if that wasn't enough, now she's in bad debt. Her only asset, her two sons. But the person she owes the debt to wants to take them as his slaves, his bond servants, to pay off the debt. And yet her two sons were the only way that she could keep going. They were bringing in the income. Can't you feel for her? It's awful. And then this desperate woman cries out to Elisha. Now, this is remarkable. Elisha is a, a high-powered prophet. He talked to kings, to royalty. And yet, he's very willing to talk to this humble girl. He's the, the voice of God. 
Anyway, this woman says, your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that he revered the Lord. So we know that her husband was a member of the company of prophets. Uh, he was faithful to Yahweh. And this was at a time when commitment to the Lord was very costly. You know this took place during the time of Ahab, possibly the worst king of this time. His wife, Jezebel. Many of the Lord's prophets were liquidated by her with gusto. Perhaps this lady's husband had been one of the victims. You remember um, earlier in, in 1 Kings, Obadiah, the administrator of King Ahab, of his palace. He was a devout believer, but when he met up with Elijah, he says, haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves. Well, whatever happens, by the time Elijah brought people together at Mount Carmel with the prophets of, of Baal there, he said, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. They'd been decimated. Jezebel had used the state's authority to encourage the worship of Baal and Asherah and eliminate the worship of Yahweh. It was awful. Now, as we've heard, today Christians are being persecuted throughout the world. It's very hard for people in Afghanistan, Christians there, North Korea, uh, Somalia, Libya. You, you can think of them. Eritrea, Nigeria. It's not easy. I'll never forget taking a group of students to uh, do a, a conference in, in Russia. We went to Kursk, and I was invited to a very large Baptist church. Lots of people there. But something was very striking. There were no, well, very few men over 50. Lots of ladies. And I asked one of them afterwards, I said, why is this? And she said, well, in Stalin's time, many of our men were arrested by the secret police and we never saw them again. It's hard. But, as we all know, life can be hard for all of us, however we've lived. A devout Christian woman who served God sacrificially can suddenly be told she's got cancer or her husband's died or some other tragedy. We're not immune from this. This, this faithful woman, uh, she's desperate. She just cries out to Elisha, God's representatives, and she clings to her Lord. Isn't it different to those people who try and, and cope and muddle through, who are self-satisfied and self-dependent, who are not living by faith? Some of you know this bit in, in Jonah's prayer just over a century later. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that should be theirs. The grace that comes by trusting their Heavenly Father. 
Anyway, this woman, she cries to the Lord. It's similar to the prayer of, of Mary and Martha. Lord, the one you love is sick. That's all she, she could say. It's a desperate cry. See, faith shares the problem with the Lord we know who loves us. And the Bible is full of such examples of faith. Some of you who know your Bibles, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, he was facing an overwhelming combined invasion force. You read it in 2 Corinthians 20. And he said this, We have no power to face this vast enemy that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that lovely? That's living by faith. This woman was in dire trouble, yet she believes. Now, look at verses 2 to 6. We've now got God's loving involvement. The Lord always starts with us where we are. Nothing is too hard for him. Isn't it lovely, Elisha's little statement on behalf of God? How can I help you? It doesn't mean the Lord will answer our prayers as we would like. There's so many stories of problems getting worse. Archbishop Ren Kwashi in Nigeria, he tells about the awful experience of a pastor, a man called James, and his family. Muslim extremists had already killed two of his children. They then attacked his wife. And as she lay dying, both from gunshot wounds and machete wounds, she said to her husband, Is this the end between us? So we shan't be, so we shan't be together again? And James, a, a lovely Christian man, said, Hold on to your faith in Jesus, and we shall meet again and never part again. Then the pastor heard a scream from his 13-year-old daughter. A machete blowed, opened up her abdomen. The militant said to her, Dad, kill her, and then you'll see what your Jesus will do, whether he'll save you. And the girl replied in the presence of James, Jesus has already saved me, by, and by killing me, you'll simply be enabling me to be with him. That's to live by faith. See, God often begins with our inadequacies. He helps us to realize how helpless we are. This woman had virtually nothing to offer. There's something very else very interesting. I've made this a sort of subheading. God's deliberate concealment. Do you see this here? Little phrase. Look at verse 4. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask just for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all your jars. Now, when this woman goes around asking for all these jars from her neighbors, they're going to be inquisitive. You know, what's this for? What's going to happen? Uh, and you can just imagine the peering eyes, you know, wanting to push through the door and see what's going on. But the door is closed, and I wondered why. 
Now, surely it means that sometimes God's work with us is not to be the object of public gaze. There's something wrong when you see some so-called uh, Christian healing evangelists publicizing everything, their wares, and increase their income by using every publicity stunt they possibly can. It's so easy for us to push ourselves to the front by saying how much God is using us and our ministry. And surely there are times when God doesn't want a fanfare if it's to promote us. But he does if it promotes the Lord Jesus. There's a tension there. Dear David, I mean, he, he knew that the gospel had to get out. If you, you know Psalm 49 and 10? Uh, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. He wasn't quiet. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving health. I do not conceal you. So we've all got to learn to talk about what God offers us, his people. Do you all know the little clever sayings? In the past, I was pardoned. In the present, I have peace, power, and a purpose. And in perpetuity, paradise. This is, that's the, the blessings of the gospel. But it's to glorify God and not us. Some doors do need to be shut. Now, Jesus emphasized this in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember Matthew 6? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward in heaven. Oh dear. And Jesus illustrated this by saying how some people give publicity to the way they pray. But Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, same phrase, and pray to your Father who is unseen. It all depends on our motives. If God's given us a gift, use it. But for his glory, to encourage and build up and motivate other people. Or am I using it so that people will know that I'm spiritual? God knows. Well, the next point from this story. What is it that God longs for from us? It must be faith. Everything God wants for you and me is that we should grow in faith. Look at verse 5. This woman obeys what the Lord has said through Elisha exactly. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. Just as a little point here, God does want our children to be involved in our spiritual lives. Very much. 
You know, when you have your daily quiet time, and I hope you all do in the morning, do you let your children and grandchildren know that this is what you do? It's terribly important. At mealtimes, are we all involving the Lord and just thanking him for his grace? We've got to treat our children as potential Christians. Train them as Christians. Train them to talk to the Lord as their father. Train them to obey the Lord Jesus. You see, our children and our grandchildren are our prime responsibility. Have you heard of Gypsy Smith? He was a Victorian evangelist linked to the Salvation Army. He's born in a, a simple gypsy, uh, what do they call them, a bender tent uh, in the Epping Forest. Uh, his father became a Christian, but they still had a pretty poor life. Uh, when he was just five years old, his father was uh, traveling up in this area, in Letchworth. Uh, and his mother got smallpox and she died. Uh, she was buried actually in St. Nicholas Church up at Norton. If you, you go there, it's well worth seeing. Uh, it's a lovely stone there. Anyway, Gypsy Smith became a Christian when he was 15, uh, partly through the witness of his father and also because uh, his father took him to hear uh, Moody and Sankey and partly through a visit to John Bunyan's home. Anyway, he taught himself to read at the age of 15. He began to practice preaching, and he became a very popular evangelist. After one of his uh, missions, a lady who was very impressed approached him, and she said that she felt that God was calling her to be an evangelist. And Gypsy Smith, a wise man, talked to her, and about her family, she'd got five children. And then Gypsy Smith summarized the whole thing. He said, praise God that he's called you to share your faith. But praise him too, that he's already given you a congregation. Isn't that lovely? That's our prime responsibility, to pass on the gospel to those close to us. Now, look at our passage. Notice this woman's obedience he doesn't talk about her defects. She's given instructions in verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. She obeys them to the letter. Even the occurrence of this miracle uh, required her obedience. And God could have produced, uh, solved a problem by finding some gold coins somewhere or producing them in thin air. God is able to do anything. But what's he most want from her? He wants her faith. So he involves her. He wants to build up our faith. And he always does this. How? By asking us to obey whatever circumstances come. So it's by doing this that God builds up our faith. This is what Elisha did for this lady. You can see how we can most help others around us through this example. Everybody needs to learn to trust and obey our creator God, the Lord Jesus. His 
ambition for you and me is that we should have an increasing faith. We've all got this. Now, look at this glorious bit. God's overflowing goodness, verse 7. You see the commands Elisha gave to this woman? Three of them. Sell your oil, pay your debts, live on what's left over. Presumably she kept her sons. Tell me, if you're asked, what is the greatest blessing that God's given you? Could be many of them. Family, job, security, financial security, a home. Do you all know Romans 5, 1 to 5? Just look it up, would you? Just turn over to Romans 5, 1 to 5. Paul there lists what he sees as most important. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Isn't that wonderful? His joy, what matters more, that he knows he's safe with God. He's gained access by faith into the grace in which he stands. Wonderful. And he says that for all of us. But then he goes on. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. See, that's what God wants in us. God makes these blessings, these eternal blessings that come from faith, then overflow to others around us. Didn't God say to us, go and make disciples of all nations? It's lovely to hear about compassion. These Christians there, making young disciples. Oh, there's so much here to learn from God's dealing with this obscure lady. Not given her name. It's interesting. You know one of the most powerful kings at this time was a man called Omri. In the uh, secular literature of the time, he is very famous. Uh, one of the most important kings around. He was the man who, uh, he was king of uh, the north in Israel. He built Samaria. Do you remember he, he bought uh, this plot of land from Shema, which is where the name Samaria came from. He got it dirt cheap. He paid about £55,000 for this whole site for Samaria. Uh, very shrewd king. But how does God summarize his life? This is what it reads. Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than those before him. He aroused the anger of the Lord by their worthless idols. He died, and what was the effect of his life? He was followed by his son, Ahab, who married Jezebel. What a tragedy. This great man, he had no faith. He didn't pass it on. 
This woman, she gets just seven verses, about the same. But the lesson is clear. The first of these uh, lessons are how God satisfies our needs. God's desperate people matter to him more than anything. And he'll bless us. He'll give us great peace as we serve our Lord. He gives this peace now in this life and particularly in the life to come. Doesn't this thrill you? Our Lord cares. Let's thank him. Lord, we do praise you very much for examples like this that show how you care for those people in need. Lord, we just praise you that what you want in us is to have a growing faith, a faith we pass on to our families, a faith that other people can learn from when they see us. What would you think of those neighbours of that lady? Lord, please, be with each one of us. Help us to be people whose faith is growing as we trust you, as we obey you, and as we live for you. For Christ's sake. Amen.